0: Hello and welcome along to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Edward Knight, And I'm Andrew Nichols. And today on the show, we're talking about how can you look good to the banks? How do you put together a mortgage application where the bank manager is going to look at that and say, yes, I want to give that guy some money or girl some money. And this actually comes in from Roy, a listener of the show, has asked, how can I make my mortgage application look really good to the bank? So we're going to talk about the two main things that we, we would usually suggest, because of course, you need income, you need equity but there's more than that. There's two other things which we're going to talk about on the show. So the first thing that I want to talk about is credit history. So of course, when you put in a mortgage application, the bank is going to request your credit history and they're going to make a judgment call based on a couple of factors to determine whether you're credit worthy. So the first thing they're going to make a judgment call is is the number of inquiries that other financial institutions have made to your credit history. So every single time you apply for credit, that is recorded on your credit history. And they're not only going to make a judgment call on the number of inquiries, because if there are a a, a large number of inquiries, that kind of suggests that you're trying to get a lot of credit over time. Now, of course, if you're looking to get a lot of credit, that can potentially be a little bit bad, it can make you look a little bit bad, especially if you're applying at the same time to three or four banks around town, and they're number four of, of, you know, four or five. And if they think that you've been declined by a couple of other banks, that's going to make you look really bad. I've understood that, right, yeah, Andrew? Yeah, well, it's
1: more just if they don't know. So so uh, I remember when I was at the BNZ, if you, got an, if you uh, did a credit check inquiry and someone had four inquiries before you, uh, you guessed one of two things. Either that person was shopping around and could be wasting your time, you've only got a 20% chance of getting them, or uh, they have been to other banks and the other banks know more than you do and have declined them. And so that's uh, especially if you're going to a bank that's not your main bank. And also there are sometimes people who have uh, jobs which are sensitive around credit checks as well. So uh, often this is where you might be better to have a broker uh, do the credit check for you uh, and provide that to the bank. So I think they still do it that way. If a broker provides the credit check, they'll accept that. And or, get everything else done with the bank. Make sure you meet all of their criteria before the bank does that credit check because banks hate um, time wasters uh, or people that are shopping around and and even more than that, they hate uh, people that are getting declined elsewhere because they don't want to lend to someone that's high risk.
0: And the other thing that they'll look for is not just the number of inquiries, but the where the inquiry has come from. So say three or four years ago, you went to a Save My Bacon or an Instant Finance, one of those kinds of short-term lending institutions, the bank's going to say, well, what's the only reason somebody would ever go to an institution like that for? It's it's because you were short on cash. So, you, so you've potentially not been very good with your money at a point in time, a few years ago, perhaps. And they'll take that as a bit of a black mark. It's not Not necessarily a good sign to show creditworthiness. Of course, that's not going to be a no forever. It's not going to mean you're not going to get the get the lending that you require. But it starts to build a bigger picture that they'll make the judgment call on. And you may not have even got the money from a Save My Bacon or an instant finance because you went on their website, put your details in. They've done a credit check. That's now on your record for the next seven years. Where a bank, if they're going to lend you money, is going to be able to see that and will. for put that within the picture and put that into the wider context.
1: And I think, actually, if you, uh, if you know that that's on your credit inquiry, it might be useful when you are applying through a bank or a broker if you provide some sort of explanation there in advance. So rather than them come and ask you the question, you could say, hey, look, I just want you to know that two years ago I did have a slight cash flow issue and I borrowed some money. It got repaid and I never did that again.
0: And I think this is particularly important for younger people. So if you've been a student five years ago, because uh, checks on your credit history last about seven years. So if you knew know that that happened five years ago you when you were in a very different financial position, then just be upfront about that and say yes. that that actually happened. And the reason that it happened was that I was broke because I was a student at university <laughs> getting a degree so that I could not be broke now. Uh, and that, that starts to build that picture around the judgment call. And look, the other things that they're going to look for is if there were any defaults in your credit history, and if those have now been paid. So obviously, if there are any outstanding debts on your credit history, you're going to want to clear those up pretty quickly, just to show that you know, you're an adult who accepts your debts and can pay them off. Even if you've been lumped with them because uh, you got lumped with some flat expenses five years ago, six years ago. It's those kinds of things that they're going to look for you to clear.
1: And it's interesting here because a lot of people might know that they had a a, a credit card issue or an overdraft issue with Westpac. Uh, they've been pissed off and argued about it and then left Westpac and gone to another bank and thought, oh bugger them, it doesn't matter. Then years later, and it could be four or five years later, uh, when they've saved a deposit, want to buy their first house, they go to apply with B and Z who know nothing of this Westpac and then see it on their credit report. That will really work against you. The fact that, you haven't paid back a financial institution shows that B shows B and Z that you're unlike or you're more likely to maybe not treat them with the kind of respect that they want when you're paying back their money. And so I do think uh, uh, there's a website where you can do your credit check yourself, which doesn't count as an inquiry. You can see what's there. The smartest thing you can do before applying for finance is to get that report, pay it. If there's something there, and yes, you disputed it, just pay it. Forget about it. Think about the big picture. Get rid of it and move on. And I see a lot of people who, particularly if they've been in flatting environments and everyone signed up for the Vodafone bill, and then everyone it off and no one paid it, then all of a sudden you've got a situation where you didn't even know it was there and you moved out of the flat and the mail's been going there and they've been throwing it out. So this is why you need to deal with those because banks hate surprises. And they do also, the one last thing which I didn't cover off before was credit score. So they do have an an algorithm that works out what your credit score is. Uh, They're a little bit ambiguous and so don't get too upset if your credit score isn't as high as you want it to be. The banks take these with a grain of salt um, If you've got a whole lot of defaults that haven't been paid, it will be really poor. But banks, systems generally, if it's within a certain range, will just approve on the basis that you meet all their other criteria. The credit score probably isn't the key thing. It's those debts and the inquiries. And of course, credit history is just the first thing that a bank will
0: start to look for. And just before we get into the second thing, I wanted to give you a bit of an example. So we've recently had some investors we've been working with, and they've signed up on a property. And the mortgage broker came back and said, look, these are some slam dunk clients. And what we mean by that is they've got great income. These investors have great income, great equity. They should be able to get the lending from the bank. Now, the mortgage brokers come back and said, well, actually... It's probably going to take about another two months before we'll be able to get that lending. There was a bit of a concern at the moment around income because of COVID-19, the the question of will incomes drop, but really it sounds like there's some underlying account conduct issues that just need to be sorted over the next two months to satisfy the bank before they'll approve the lending. And Andrew, let's jump into that now and talk about the second side, so So, account
1: conduct. So number two, yeah, account conduct. This is a really interesting one, particularly because some banks uh, will allow you to go beyond or overdraft arrangements. So I know, for example, BNZ uh, for years had a thing called a shadow limit. And so if you went, I think it was $500, if you went up to $500 overdrawn because a payment went out and your money hadn't gone in on time, then often they would honour that payment for you. So they would la- they would allow you to go beyond, and nowadays on honour fees are fairly, relatively low, and so people kind of didn't really worry about it. And because the bank just honoured the payment and it went out, uh, people just assumed they had an overdraft. Now when you go to apply for finance, if you don't have an overdraft or if you're going beyond your overdraft arrangement, that will seriously hinder your ability to get finance because they look at this as if you're not able to manage your money. Even worse than an honour fee where they make the payment is a dishonour fee where they claw back the automatic payment or direct debit that's been made because there wasn't sufficient funds in your account, make sure you don't have any of these particularly in the last three months when you're applying for finance or six months sometimes with some banks. Uh, And if it's your bank, then they're going to look at, they can see everything. Um, one of the other things that's a really interesting one, and I remember having this years and years ago, I was helping a family get finance for a house, and the bank picked up, the, there were a lot of uh, uh, debits at the local pub, the Herewood Tavern, and they were $47 or something like that. And $47 is, a, is an alarm bell for a bank because it's $7 for a beer and $40 for the pokies. And as a result, they knew that that person was spending money on the pokie machines, and And again, everyone's got the right to spend their money on whatever they like, but gambling is one of those things that banks don't really like because people become addicted to it. And so uh, I can think of a case of an ex-business partner of mine, he loved the casino and he had the money to spend at the casino, but the bank had the opportunity to say, actually this isn't the kind of person we want to be lending to because we think it's a risk. And so he got declined by about four banks when he was trying to apply for his own mortgage. Uh, one other thing they're looking at is they're looking at um, regular savings. So they want to see that you're actually living within your means. They're very specific now at going through with a fine-tooth comb and looking what your expenses are. So the bank will ask you what your expenses are per month, and you'll have to itemise that between food, clothing, clothing, insurances, all of that. Nowadays they'll actually go through your bank statements and match that up. And if you say you spend a thousand bucks a month on food and clothing in general, but you've actually got $2,000 a month going out, they'll work on that. So that can seriously affect your UMI, which I'm about to talk about. Uh, so the key, the key thing there is just sticking within your limits, making sure you're putting aside the money that you ought to be, make sure your timing's good as well with payments. If, if you, you pay your rent manually and you do it on a Friday week and the, a Friday one week and a Thursday the next week and a Wednesday the following week because you're kind of getting caught up, that will work to your um, disadvantage. And the last thing I want to talk about is having a healthy UMI, Uh, and it sounds like a sexually transmitted disease, I know. Um, So a healthy UMI is uh, uncommitted monthly income. So when the bank's looking at how much you can afford after the new loan is in place, they want to see a reasonable amount left over, and that it's comfortable for you to be able to service that at at the servicing test rate in a 30-year term, say. Now the way you can make your, your UMI healthier is doing things like extending loan terms, getting rid of all those things like like higher purchases or personal loans uh, and reducing credit card limits. Make sure that the bottom line is better or as good as possible before you go and apply for the money. Because I tell you this, once you get a no from a bank, it's really hard to get that turned around to a yes, because once a credit manager's made up their mind, it's it's a challenge, almost impossible. One last final thing I want to talk about uh, is non-disclosure. So the worst thing that you can do is apply for finance and then leave out your higher purchases or leave out a credit card and then have the bank pick it up through your bank statements or your credit check and they will because they'll look at your cre- uh, your credit card statements and your EFPOS statements and if you've got a $50 AP going out for um, a GE credit line that you haven't disclosed, they really hate that. And they will likely uh, get the second guess your application because you haven't told that. And if you say, I just forgot, then that's not really good enough either because I just forgot isn't good enough when you're talking about finance. So make sure you actually take the time to fill out those forms correctly. And again, use a broker. Use a broker that's going to check all this before sending it to the bank.
0: And of course, the reason that it's not good enough is that the banks want to see that you're credit worthy. They want to know that you're going to make your mortgage payments regularly, that you're going to pay them back the money that they're going to lend to you. That's essentially what this is all about, and allowing them to make the judgment call to be able to do that. So two main things that we're really saying within this, if you want to look really good in the bank's eyes, so they're going to want to lend you this money, first of all, is to have the good credit history. So go and request that. We're going to drop a link with where you can do that, I believe for free, in the show notes. And second of all, make sure that your financial situation is tidy. This is all about tidiness. So can you demonstrate that those savings are are being made? Can you demonstrate uh, that your credit card payments are being met and you've got that uncommitted monthly income.
1: One last thing I just want to add is that in this environment, banks are being really, really cautious and they're saying no to very credit worthy people. So put your best foot forward the first time. Make sure you get this right the first time because even some of the best clients at the moment are getting a no or a not right now just because the banks are a little nervous. So do everything you can to show them that you're worth lending the money to.
0: Fantastic. Well, let's wrap it up there. But of course, please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. It really, does help us get the message out to more people. And hey, we would really appreciate it if you would take our podcast survey. We want this to be the best podcast in the world about investing in New Zealand property. And a big way you can help us do that is by taking this podcast survey. I'm going to drop a link to this in the show notes. But I just want to say that if you do fill this out, what we're going to do is we're going to send you your very own Property Academy podcast mug absolutely for free. So please do tap or swipe over that cover art. It'll take you right there. And we'd really appreciate it if if you could do that survey. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nickel. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics, and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time.